0: Today's date is October 9th, 2022. We are reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, page XXVII. Jeff H. will be our reader, followed by a 20-minute share by Terry C. Go ahead, Jeff.
1: Okay. The doctor writes, the subject presented in this book seems to me to be of paramount importance to those afflicted with the alcoholic addiction. I say this after many years' experience as medical director of one of the oldest hospitals in the country treating alcoholic and drug addiction. There was, therefore, a sense of real satisfaction when I was asked to contribute a few words on a subject which is covered in, in such masterly detail in these pages. We doctors have realized for a long time that some form of moral psychology was of urgent importance to alcoholics, but its application presented difficulties beyond our conception. What with our ultra-modern standards, our scientific approach to everything, we are perhaps not well equipped to, to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. Many years ago, one of the leading contributors to this book came under our care in this hospital. And while here, he acquired some ideas, which he put into practical application at once. Later, he requested the privilege of being allowed to tell his story to other patients here. And with some misgiving, we we consented. The cases we have followed through have been most interesting. In fact, many of them are amazing. The unselfishness of these men as we have come to know them, the entire absence of profit motive and their community spirit is indeed inspiring to one who has labored long and wearily in this alcoholic field. They believe in themselves and still more in the power which pulls chronic alcoholics back from the gates of death. Of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor And this often requires a definite hospital procedure before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. Thank you for allowing me to serve.
0: Thank you, Jeff. And now I would like to introduce our speaker, Terry C. I am really looking forward to hearing what she has to say to bring light to these pages. Go ahead, Terry. Thanks, Tasha. Good to see you, good to see so many people. I'm Terry C. I'm a compulsive overeater from Southern New Jersey, and it's good to see so many faces at a meeting that um, hopefully I'll make my way back to. I, I love this meeting, uh, uh, a calling to do some step work that coincided with this meeting time, took me away for a little bit, and uh, maybe when that wraps up, that'll happen. But. Uh, I'm so grateful to be here today and to be kind of uh, immersed in the doctor's opinion. I always think it's such a great place to be for whatever ails you I think the doctor's opinion is just, you know, um, I don't know, it's just such a beautiful way to kind of start with convincing testimony. I love that phrase, convincing testimony. Bill calls this convincing, convincing testimony, but uh, let me talk a little bit about my background um, and how it relates to this. Uh, so I'm a member of Overeaters Anonymous for over 30 years. Um, I came in at 230 pounds plus I'm um, five, one and a half maybe, <laughs> and shrinking. Um, but uh, I, I read that word paramount Paramount importance. And I think what was of paramount importance to me in my disease at 230 pounds, and what was of paramount importance to me was I was going to find a way of life to be happy. I was going to find a way to do life so I could be happy. I just had this little teensy weensy little problem, and that was my weight. But other than that, I was very confident I was going to find a way to be happy. And on that, I think in that point in my life, I really didn't have an emotional kind of radar. I just had very black and white emotions. Like I was either going to be happy or I was going to be disgusted. And most of the time I was disgusted. Um, so I read that today and I think, you know, this is supposed to be, or seems to be of paramount importance to those afflicted with anything, those afflicted with any addiction, right? I love to read the doctor's opinion and leave out all the alcoholism and all the alcoholic phrases and just insert the ones that apply to my disease. And it never fails me. It never fails me. Um, I got into Overeaters Anonymous because a psychiatrist told me there was a place for people with food addiction and I was absolutely convinced that he hadn't listened to me at all, that I wasn't the addict in my family. I had no idea this was an illness. I had no idea this was a disease. And um, I look back on it and think of how, uh, how hard it was for me to accept that this was an illness and how I'm so clear today about the fact that this is a symptom of my disease. You know, this is a symptom. Compulsive overeating is what I do because the pain of not being successful at playing God is too great. It's much, much too great for me. And this program offers me a new way of life, a new way of life, which is not playing God. So um, when I got into Overeaters Anonymous, I realized that I did not eat like normal people and that had not really occurred to me before. (laughs) I know that sounds ridiculous, but at 230 pounds and the way I was eating, um, I'm Italian, I come from a a family and a history of eaters and I have saw all too often the idea that obesity doesn't make its way to a death certificate, but it should. And compulsive overeating should make its way to a death certificate, because I've seen the complications from this disease, and I see how it kills, see how compulsive overeating can kill. Um, And that's one of the reasons I take this recovery seriously. You know, I don't want to die, at least not before my time, whenever that's going to be. I don't want to die of this, you know, of compulsive overeating. So the will to um, get abstinent, and I call it The will to get abstinent um, was easy for me when I recognized I was killing myself with food. I I could see that I was going to die an early death. um, And when people spoke about their freedom, the the freedom that they had, the joy and the freedom from not being, you know, not having that monkey on their back of food, um, I listened and I really wanted that. I had the will to be free. The one thing that's part of my story, and I'm going to go into a little bit of some things that may not sit with people who believe differently, um, but I realize now, my first 10 years in program, I really didn't understand the spiritual malady. I understood my physical illness, but I really didn't understand spiritual malady. And I believe in those years that, um, and I even said it at times, I said abstinence was the most important thing in my life without exception. And I don't believe that today. I believe abstinence is a byproduct of my spirituality. And I believe the consciousness of the presence of God is the most important fact in my life today. It's right in the book. And I'm so grateful to understand that today. So, um, yeah, I I, want to get back to the doctor's opinion. And I'll just kind of stop that part of my story and go back into it with this. Um, It is this book and it's why I study this book and why it's still important to me to live the principles that this book explains to me um, is what really set me free. Abstinence did not set me free. In fact, for the longest time, I do what I call worshiping the God of abstinence. And that to me, was keeping me in a normal body size. And it's kind of like the person they describe. It's kind of like the, um, the, uh, man in more about alcoholism, you know, the carpet slippers and the robe, um, that could have been me. I could have been destined someday to still die of this disease, even though I was abstinent in a long time. So, um, I'm always humbled by the doctor's opinion because this is a psychiatrist, right? Head of one of the oldest hospitals that treated alcoholism or addiction at that time. And he's he's grateful to be writing about something that works that he really doesn't have anything to do with, which I think is just really, really cool. Um, I did some research recently. I can't remember why, but um, I learned from, it might've been, I can't remember the website, but I learned that. Dr. Silkworth wrote the first letter to help Bill with the foundation that was established to publish this book. And that letter was an endorsement so he could bring that to contributors and have the medical community behind him. This letter was intended to be published in the book. And it makes so much sense when you look at both letters that those are the two premises. Um, But he's saying now he got to write for the book He's saying he's satisfied, but more than that, he calls, and I think it's the best description of the writing in this book, masterly detail. Masterly detail. If it wasn't for the masterly detail in this book, I probably wouldn't be talking to you today. I probably wouldn't be a person who really believes that, you know, this holds the key for me to living a life. That makes sense. Where I'll be okay, because forever, even in abstinence, I tried endlessly and failed at being okay, <laughs> at being happy. As I as I said earlier, um, and then also, you know. I'm a person that didn't try a lot of weight loss programs. I liked eating too much. I just like kind of accepted like, okay, I'm going to overeater. I'm going to be this way. And it's not, you know, it wasn't, I even didn't consider myself like a cast, you know, being a a cast out of society. I was just one of those people who was going to be, you know, comfortably eating in a larger size body with a family that accepted me because they did the same too, you know, that sort of thing. Um, But, uh, I think as I got older and I got a career, um, it started to weigh on me a little, you know, that I was getting larger and larger. And I did go to a diet doctor. You know, I took those diet pills, the Get Quick Fix, my favorite. You know, when you're an addict, those things are like really sometimes a welcome add-on. And uh, tried Weight Watchers a couple of times, Pay and Program, tried those a couple of times. And I'm reading this in, the, in a paragraph that says, you know, we've realized for a long time, we doctors, we doctors who, you know, have ultra modern standards. We doctors who have scientific approaches to everything. We doctors who aren't well equipped to apply any powers outside of science, you know, we really haven't done a lot. You know, we really haven't, we we, we realize, and this is the most important thing. He talks about moral psychology. Well, I especially believe in 1938, moral psychology was really code for something outside of science that leaned more towards spirituality. I really believe that is a spiritual experience. You know, when we think of morals, right? Bad and good, good and bad, good versus evil. Um, And he's talking about the mind. He's talking about the mind, but it's not my intellect that's ever gonna help me have a spiritual experience. It's my consciousness, which is a little different. Um, And the powers of good. I mean, here he is, he he didn't even wait. Paragraph number four, he tells me, that abstinence that you're practicing is important, but it's the powers of good, it's the moral psychology. Later on in the book, we'll read about about, our ideas and our emotions and everything being rearranged and displaced. Like that doesn't happen from a psychiatrist. I've never, I don't know of anyone who years and years even and came out thinking differently, totally about everything in life. But a spiritual experience and a spiritual awakening will do that because I've experienced that. Like I've experienced that. Like, and you hear it in the rooms all the time. Like, you know, they changed, but really it was my perception. This is like a program of evaluation of perception, you know? So, um, so he talks about, you know, Bill coming into the hospital and acquiring ideas and putting them into practical application at once, you know? And I came in here and I thought service was the answer. I thought all I had to do was service. Like I did not get the fact that I needed to change my position, step three. I needed to change my position with God so that my service made sense. Like, you know, my service doesn't make sense when I'm checking a box trying to do service. My service makes sense when I'm making a sacrifice so that I can represent God and put my agenda out of the way. You know, when I'm picking up a phone call from another fellow or I'm about to get on a phone call that's scheduled. If there's any of that, you know, and it can happen. If there's any of that selfishness, self-centeredness getting in the way, and the eyes might roll or the dread might happen, or that, you know, that delusion that something is, is going to take away from what I need to do. That's not representing God. That's representing me. That's a God is nothing moment. And Today, my objective in life is to have the consciousness of the presence of God every second of the day. Is that achievable? If it was, I would write the book, <laughs> but, but I can write a book. All I know is it's the objective. It is is my goal, right? It's what I'm shooting for. So um, I just wanna say that I'm so grateful today that I know that I can't do step 12 without practicing step 11 10 and 11 you know i got a inventory is an ongoing process and prayer and meditation are something that almost changed my vision of god's will every day almost changes it every day could become something fresher and newer every day um, so the paragraph that i love the most on this page that applies to really 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 the recovery, the current recovery story for me and that kind of the permanent recovery I hope story for me is when he talks about, you know, Bill coming into the hospital. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't check my. Uh, Let's see. Harry, I couldn't hear you. You froze a little bit, but it's about six minutes if you're looking for time. Oh, six left. Okay, cool. Thank you, Tasha. So, um, so he's talking about you know Bill coming in to talk to the other patients. The unselfishness of these people, the absence of profit motive. That to me is what it comes down to for service. The only thing you owe me and I owe you is the willingness to get better the willingness to have a spiritual experience and God willing, a continued spiritual fitness. That's the only thing we owe each other. There's no, there's no expectations. There's no fees to pay, right? Access to grind. There's just all of us wanting to get well, all of us wanting to get closer to God. Like that's it. There's, there's that's the only profit involved. Um, community spirit, the fellowship, you know, the fellowship on this meeting, which is an example of the fellowship of the program, is about just like it says on in the beginning of, of We Agnostics, right? Um, or maybe it's there's a solution, that camaraderie. Like we know, we know, and we have hope that there's a way out, that there's a better way to live, other than the one we even know today. <laughs> like even better than the one I know today. So um So he's saying how he's inspired because he's labored long and warily to try to make a difference. And now this whole psychological approach that he's been trying has been outweighed by this moral approach, right? By this, in my opinion, spiritual approach. And he describes it that we as a community believe in ourselves. Whenever I read that line, I think about the Wright brothers and how it describes their childish faith. Like they believed, they believed that they could fly. And that's really what sustained them. And that's what we are. You know, we who are, you know, genuinely happy to be in this program, that we can live a life that's meaningful and has purpose. We believe that we don't have to keep proving to the world that we're okay. We have hope we are okay. And we're going to be okay. And, but the, but the classic line is they believe more in the power, which pulls them back from the gates of death. And he capitalizes that. And to me, that speaks volumes. It speaks volumes. Um, Without God, I'm either going to be physically dead, spiritually dead, or emotionally dead. And none of those is better than the other. (laughs) I'm not going to. It's not it's not a real, you know, multiple choice question. Like it's just that's what it boils down to. So this last part, I have to be freed. I love how he goes into moral psychology and this spiritual experience before he even talks to me. Like he's talking about abstinence here and he's talking about how I have to be free of those things that I'm obsessing about. Before there's any hope that I could be any kind of recovered past, present, or you know, future. I have to be free to them. And that's what's encouraging and often interpreted as why we are compulsive overeaters have to, you know, think about our willingness to put the food down or put the alcoholic foods down or, you know, start to practice some kind of refrain. Of the things that, as I once heard a speaker say, I never put anything in my mouth that stays in my head, because what's an obsessive thought? A thought that crushes all other thoughts. And those were the those were the things that stayed in my head, right? The obsession with, you know, different food and food behaviors. And I just uh, I just think it's it's just so interesting that here we're starting the first, the full letter of the doctor, uh, of Dr. Silkworth's. And he leads first with talking about the power we need to get well, before he talks about the beginnings of how we might get well, like what the clinical approach might be. And this is kind of clinical, right? Of course, of course, I'm going to add something clinical here, because I can't just talk about their they you know, their um, psychic change. I also think that's a great way to say spiritual experience. Um, I can't talk only about that and not talk about what you know physically might be helpful to these people who are ill, who are ill. Um, I think yeah, before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. And where the psychological measures he talks about, well, of course, he's a psychiatrist. He's going to mention about what he does, just like the one that I went to that was helpful because he got me into O.A. He got me into a 12-step program, which I'm grateful for. Um, But um, I think I want to close with, I'm sure I'm getting down to the time. Um, I think I want to close with just the idea that It doesn't matter how we get in here. It doesn't matter if it's the, you know, if it's the lamenting or the agony or the anguish of being severely overweight or the the anguish of the obsession or, you know, whatever it is that is the alcoholic torture for you that brings you in here. I, I can clearly remember what mine was, but I like that Bill uses that word torture because he nailed it for me. Um, this disease is torture. When you're in it and there's no way out, it's torture. It doesn't matter how we get in here. Um, what matters to me most is that I understand that the overeating is only a symptom. It's not the reason I'm here today. The reason I'm here today is there. there's that symptom and there can be other symptoms, not Not that, you know, that's my core addiction. I, I'm I'm not going to say that something takes an equal spot to that, but there can be other behaviors and things I do in my life to ease the pain that I have when playing God is backfiring on me. Something that, you know, in my disease, it's all I did. I, I heard when I came in the rooms that there was the book titled, Not God. And it rang a bell with me because I knew that was, that was something I had to consider, like not playing God. So um, I think I'll end it there. And uh, thanks for letting me share. Appreciate it.